Thank you for listening in today to episode number eight of My Awakening Podcast. As your host, I have really learned more about America's racial issues through the variety of thought and opinions from our different guests thus far, and I hope you too have benefited from hearing a variety of black voices. Zelda is my guest on this episode, and she brings another perspective that we should all consider. She encourages us to think about a heavenly perspective and ask ourselves to seriously consider what bigger picture God is really wanting us to see through this pandemic and the unprecedented racial unrest in our country. As you listen, please think about what your personal unique role might be in helping America through these challenging times. Thank you, Zelda, for being our guest today, and welcome. Thank you. Well, I am from Ohio originally. I was born in Mansfield, Ohio, um, and I grew up in the well late 60s, well, 60s, 60s on to 70s and on. And so, of course, in Ohio, we called it North. You experienced um, the black-white thing or racism. There was a lot of racism. But I was thinking about something, how my father instilled in us that we were just as good as anybody. And I remember him always telling us that. So I never had a, a inferiority complex. I'm black and I'm not as good as a white person or something like that. I never had that because he instilled in us that we're just as good as anybody else. Now, racism in our school, I'll never forget my elementary school. And I'll never forget this, this teacher. His name is Mr. Twitchell. He was a gym teacher. And this man hated the sight of black children. I remember being thrown upside the wall. Not me only, other little black girls, girls. I'm not even talking about boys, little girls. And so you went through that kind of stuff. Um, you went through things where you saw your um, parents, especially women, the women, like my grandmother, talked down to by um, certain merchants and things like that. And you just kind of lived with those things back then. Of course, that was the 60s. And the 70s went into a different era, the black power era, where people were rising up and beginning to feel like they were somebody. And so you went through all of that in high school and junior high school. High school was good because by that time you begin to see some changes um, in the racial atmosphere, I would say. Um, like I said, we were we had things instilled in us. So I didn't experience um, anything ever where I thought I was not as good. Just never had that. Um, now, I do remember, actually I remember I was 18 and I went, I had graduated from high school and I saw this apartment I wanted. I went to um, look at it, and an older white lady came to the door, and she looked at me, and she said, I don't, she said, I don't went to blacks. I only went to whites. And so these kind of things, back when I was growing up, you did experience. So what could you do at that time but walk away, you know? And so um, in the, the end of, I would say it was 1978-ish, I decided to move to Washington State, uh, my brother, my oldest brother was military. He was in the Army. And he got out of the Army, and he stayed in Washington. And so, of course, we kept in touch. And then he invited me. He wanted me to come out here. I hadn't seen him in years. And so I was so excited. And at that time, I had my little girl. I had a little girl, um, a little two-year-old with me, my daughter. And so, and then I brought my younger brother with me because he was getting in a little trouble at school and wasn't, you know, going to school. And I didn't want him to get in trouble. So I brought him with me. And we got on a bus, a Greyhound bus, and drove for four days and three nights and met my brother in Oregon at the bus stop. He picked us up. We came to Washington. Washington was a shock. I never forget thinking, where are the black people? 
There's no black people here. And he lived in Lakewood. <laughs> I didn't see any black people. And then I had to come to Hilltop. And that's why I said, oh, there are black people in, in Tacoma. And at that time, I wasn't a Christian. Didn't even know the Lord because my mother um, my mother was a Jehovah Witness. And we were raised that way from little oh. children. And wow. so that's all I knew. So when I came to Washington, it was a whole culture shock on every level. Um, the spiritual didn't come in until I met someone who invited me to church. And I had never been in, in a church in my life. And at this time, I was like 21-ish and, um, or 20. And so um, he invited me to church. And I did go, and it scared me half to death because <laughs> I wasn't used to the lingo or any of that. But praise God, God always has a plan and a purpose for our life. From the foundations of the world before we're ever in our mother's womb, he has a purpose. He knew what race we're going to be. He knew He knew everything about us, who we are, where we're going, you know, and how to get us there. So here I'm in Washington State, and finally get to church, and I got saved and became a Christian, got filled up, baptized with the Holy Spirit, all of that good stuff. And the church I went to, of course, was all, all black church, but my pastor at that time, she was female, and she she wanted the church to be diverse, but back then the churches were not diverse. Nah, the churches were not diverse. You had your white church, you had your black church. That's what they were called. And so um, we went to church, and I loved, loved, loved church. And then I got married and went to Germany. And for the first time, I began to experience the difference, as far as difference, as far as people loving God of all races. And I began to see um, the self-righteousness that we had in us too, you know, when it came to church, that these people loved God, it didn't matter what color they were. They loved the Lord. They were Presbyterian. They were Caucasian. They were, we had, we had our, the Church of God in Christ, you know, the black people. And we got together over there. Here, and I think, you know, you think about it, we're on a foreign land. You have to come together. Either you're going to stay separated by race, but you go, or you can come together. And I found that being in Germany, really opened my eyes to how God looks at things and how God loves because I didn't see black and white then, you know. Now, when I was in the States, yes. I mean, we had our black church. But over there, there was what was called the um, Christian Servicemen Center. And anybody been in the military know what that is. It's where um, Christians, someone has set up a, a, a church, and when people come from the States to overseas, that's where you can go for worship. And in those churches, they're diverse. They're everybody. And so we was, we started going there, me and my husband. And um, that's why I met many Caucasian Christians that was just full of love. They were full, They were my brothers and sisters. And that's why I began to understand there is no separation in the eyes of the Lord when it comes to race and worship. We are one. And, and you know, I, I'm just thinking about that, how... I didn't even think about that for a long time. That's, I remember that happening to me. And I said, something's wrong with this picture. Because in the States, it was kind of like we were so we were a little self-righteous. We had it. We knew how to worship the Lord. White people didn't. <laughs> because we shouted and we danced and they didn't. But then I get there and these people, I, they, yeah, they worship different, quieter, but they love the Lord. And I understand we are sisters and brothers in Christ. So that little blockage there God took away from way and I never saw it the same after that and as we went on in Germany of course meeting other people like the Sri Lankans and just other people of other races and begin to see from the eyes of the Lord and I think for me 
that has been my thing. I know everybody's different and we go through the racial thing and we've been had these experiences, which I'll get into more of that. However, for me, because of the calling of my life, I had to go a different path. I was at a meeting in California and um, now this really is the Lord having me bring this up because I didn't think I was going to, but um, it is important to God. I was at a meeting in California, a women's meeting. I had a Jewish lady walk up to me. She was an evangelist. And she says to me, she didn't know me, but she was, and it was strange, what was really something about it. This lady was also from Tacoma. And we were in um, Anaheim. I, don't, I can't remember which state, which city we were in. And she walks up to me out of the blue. And she said, God is calling you to, God is going to use you to cross culture lines. And I said, oh, yeah, I didn't understand what all that meant at the time, but that's what she said to me. And I said, okay, you know. And I think I remember as her father, what does that mean? And then I also had um, another lady come up to me, a prophet, years later, and she said to me, "The Lord, I see a black woman preaching and a white woman preaching. You're preaching together. She said, God is going to use you to teach black people how to love white people. I don't share that often with that. At the time I was, that was said to me, I said, Lord, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that. But Throughout my time of being a, a Christian, I've been saved now for over 40-some years. The ministries God all p- p- puts me in as always ministries of diversity, always. Hmm. And things have been said about that. Yes, that's okay. I'm doing the will of God because God is breaking down that wall. It's always been there. It's been there. I mean, there's other countries that they all have racial walls built up. Um, I know in India there's certain, um, the color of your skin, the lighter ones don't like the darker ones. That's, that's, you know, yeah. and there's other places you see that. Now, in the United States, of course, it's a big thing. They and have we, a really strong caste system over there. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not, racism is not new. And um, it's an, it's an evil and it's an injustice. And no, God does not like it. No matter who it is, he does not like it. Now, as far as being black in America, yes, we've suffered a lot of things and seen a lot of things. And it's been hurtful. I mean, it's been really hurtful. There's times when I would see, just like with Trayvon Martin, and I was sharing with Joe, of all the guys, the men, young men that have gotten killed and uh, murdered, that one touched my heart more. I think because he was so young, because he was a, he was truly a child, and and um, nothing was done about it. And and that's the biggest thing when injustice is not dealt with, when it's not handled. That's where the hurt really comes from. If it's handled and handled correctly. The hurt wouldn't be so deep because there's a punishment for it. But there has been no punishment in the United States for um, systematic racism and injustice when it's put on black people. And then as a mother, we look at it like these are black men. They're, you know, you're a mother to everybody. And somebody's child has been murdered unjustly. Somebody's son. And, you know, just yesterday, just last night, it, it kind of angered me. Someone put on Facebook a picture of um, George Floyd and all his history, his criminal history. And I, I should have said something. I started to, but I had deleted the person before I got a chance to respond. I thought about it later. What my what I would have said was this. It does not matter what someone's history is or what they did. No one deserves to die and, and get the death penalty with someone's um, foot or knee on their neck while they're crying out for help. That was unjust. And it was unjust to the Lord. And God was not pleased with him. God don't care what was in that man's history. He didn't deserve to die like that. Nor does anybody. You know, so injustice of any kind 
yeah. is um, a sin against the Lord. And, and, and racism is a sin against God because when you hate somebody because of what they look like, because of the color of their skin, what you're saying to God is you made a mistake. And that's an affront to the Lord. How dare any of us say to the creator, why'd you make that person like that? Why'd you make them that color? Well, he did. And he made black people as well as white people, as well as Asian people, Indian people, every one of us in his image and in his likeness. So we look like our creator. So no one has a right to hate someone or dislike someone because you don't look like me. Your hair is not like mine. Um, you know, it's, it's just not right. It's, it's, it's total affront to the God that we say we love and that we serve. And a lot of times I'll say, you know, the world's going to do what it's going to do. But when it comes to Christianity and when it comes to the body of Christ, we are more um, accountable to God than anybody because we are to walk as Christians, loving one another, forgiving one another, um, seeing each other as our brother and sister in Christ, which is who we are, a one blood. There is no difference. One blood. We all bleed the same. But not only that, we all have the blood of Christ flowing through us. So that's important to the Lord. And I think at this time and with all the injustice and this racial thing, that is what God is getting to. He's always seen it. He, and I often tell people, don't worry, God has not closed his eyes. He's not silent. People think he is, but he's not silent. But there's a time God has appointed unto every nation under the sun. And I believe now with all this uproar, that is a time that God is shining a light on a race of people that he desires to use because we have a covenant with him. And there is a... Uh, under the scenes thing where people don't understand and realize that African-American people, they're very, we, are spirit, we are a very spiritual people and it's just in our DNA. It really is. It's in our DNA. And God has a um, ministry. He has a plan for our race of people as he does everybody, but he has a, ra a plan for this race of people also in these end times. Because you ask yourself, and many people ask, why is it the black man is being exterminated? Or, you know, trying to get rid of the black man. Why? Because there's a purpose there. Every time the enemy wanted to get rid of something, it was because there was a purpose. The Savior came, and the prophecy went forward that there is a baby or a child of this age. And what did he uh, uh, hear? Go, go kill all the baby boys. Moses, go kill all the baby boys. And they are trying to exterminate the men from the African-American race. One thing, you, you destroy the family, you destroy a whole race. They have to have the men. And so God has a plan. I believe God has a plan for African-American people. And um, it's not all fully developed or fully out there yet, but it's being, it's opening up more and more. And if, you're, if you believe in prophets, you believe in the prophetic word of the Lord, you see that God is speaking to that. And so we're, we're about to see the hand of God. And God, God brought this thing to a boiling point, a tipping point for a reason that things may become open and those hidden things might come out in the open and be exposed. So some things can be dealt with as only God can deal with it. So I, I'd really love to hear um, a little more about uh, maybe before we get into current situation of this, your experience on the hilltop, uh, raising your children there. Uh, anything that comes to mind, particularly uh, struggles, uh, things that were particularly meaningful for your life and your kids' lives in uh, raising your kids here in Tacoma in the hilltop area? 
Well, at the time of raising them, it's just a fact, especially when we have males, boys, um, it was a lot of things to consider back then. And my thing always was, first of all, I, as I said earlier, I, I didn't want to bury my children early. Um, so the one of the main things at that time was the, the gang-related violence that was going on when we came back from Germany. And so I made sure they were in church. I made sure they um, had some extracurricular things that were wholesome for them. Like they had Bible study on Tuesdays with a young man that um, took um, upon himself to have youth meetings. They went to a youth meeting on Saturdays. So they had that because with kids, even when you may not see it, it's getting put, if you're putting it in them and you got them in the right environment, God is going to put in them what needs to be there. And even if you don't see it, then the day will come and you'll see all those seeds that's been sown bring back a harvest in their lives, and that's where it was. Where it is with my my kids, my sons, and my daughter, and as as they are now adults, now can see you know the things that were put in them, and how now they're stable. You know, they stand on their own two feet and and have their own lives and their own families, and that's our goal, of course, to that to get them through alive, and that and that's the thing. Yeah. If you wanted to get your children through alive, you know, it was a lot of things, a lot of things against African-American young men at that time. Like I said, that was the gang banging. That was the um, police violence that goes on some time. And you don't want that to happen to them. And, and you know that they're, you do actually always have that feeling. And when they leave, that you have to pray for them because there's always that possibility, if God is not covering them, that something could happen. You know, and it happens. We know the parents that did lose their children. Or, you know, and, and even as we know, even the stories of the, the um, murder by cops and all this stuff that has happened. And it's always been something at, at the forefront of our mind, like is to give them that talk to tell them, I've always said, said to them, you know, and if a police stop, you don't say anything. You know, we have to tell them how to carry themselves to protect themselves. And, and it's a reality, you know, it's just a reality. And, and even so today, we know it still is a reality even today. How many years did you spend uh, raising your family on in the hilltop area here in Tacoma. Oh, well, I came back to Marcus and Josh was like, Josh was like nine, I think. And so I guess about 10 years until they graduated, you know, from high school. And um, it was okay. We had a house. I had bought a house on Hilltop and they finished school and everything. And, and it was good. And, and I'm telling you the greatest, the greatest thing any mother, period, I don't care what race you are, and any um, black mother, if you're raising your children alone, the most important thing is stay connected to the Lord. I mean, stable. I mean, I don't mean surface because I knew that my prayers are what kept my kids safe. I knew that. I knew my prayers kept them safe. I knew that the Holy Spirit would guide me with them and that my praying for their destiny and their purpose would be fulfilled as long as I'm praying for them. So I'm their biggest intercessors. And I, like I said, I was not going to see my children in jail um, murdered, any of that. It's just like, no, Lord, this is not going to happen. And I saw so I would speak over them and I would pray for them and watch over them. And like I said, I was a strict mother. You know, they, they didn't need to be out in the streets doing things they didn't need to be doing and going everywhere. No, I didn't even allow them to spend the night at other people's homes. <laughs> I knew, I knew what was happening at my house. I didn't know what was happening at somebody else's house. So they were always home, you know, and, and like I said, talk to them and the things they would go through, um, the racial things. I remember um, Marcus going to um, stadium. They would Marcus and Marcus and Joshua graduated at stadium. 
And there was this teacher that just did not like Marcus. She was a Caucasian, she was a Caucasian teacher, and she didn't like him. And every time I turned around, she was on him. And so this one, and, and I was fast to go to the schools. Uh, I would go and have something, if I got something to say, or you've done something I don't like, I'm going to say something about it when it comes to my kids. And so this lady had put a cup of tea on her desk and it got knocked over. So she told Marcus to clean it up. And Marcus, the way he is, no, I'm not going to clean it up. He didn't knock it over and, he, and she didn't know who did. So I had to go up there, okay, no, this is going to work. I mean, I'm on it, okay? Things like that, you have situations that are unjust, unfair, happened to my daughter, just things that's unfair, you know? And they, and they were, they were some of them racially motivated. So what do you do? You sit back and let, no, I'm not going to let it happen. We're going we're to say something. You know, like, uh-uh. <laughs> the kids always knew that mom had their back. Yeah, yeah. And they should, kids should know that. They should know that. That their, their mother or their father, and mother and father, if they are two parents in the home, have their back. And watching over them, we have to watch over them. They have nobody else to do it, you know. It doesn't come naturally, this racism mm -hmm. thing. It doesn't. It doesn't. I worked at Skyline for the last four, well, it would have been four years, but it got laid us off last year, whatever. And all these children for years, three years, just work with kids. And it's amazing how kids love each other. They just get along just fine. You know, let's, as you said, if the parents leave them alone, don't put your biases on those children. Those children are fine. You know, yeah. when, the, when you start seeing racism come out of children, you know what's coming from the parents, and you know immediately that's what's going on in their home. When they can yeah. say those words and call those certain racial names and all that is coming out of their home. They're, yeah. they're hearing it. They're hearing it. It's yes. not just something they thought up. They're hearing it. Yes. Um, I'd like to switch gears a little bit, if mm -hmm. we could, and move into talking about kind of uh, current events and uh, where we're at with okay. what's going on in uh, America today. And maybe because you've been around a while and you've experienced this over some mm -hmm. time with a uh, uh, couple of generations now yourself, uh, how you might compare what you see happening today, which is unprecedented in so many ways. Not if you just take away the the pandemic, uh, the fact that this racial unrest and all this is happening on top of that, but um, I, I just like to hear and and have our listeners maybe hear from you on what you think is different this time. Maybe even are we are we further along and we're closer to a tipping point that really things could change more dramatically than we've seen in the past because we're having conversations like this? Or do you think that this is, um, uh, you know, a, a, another stepping stone, but that there's still a whole lot more yet to come and that it's not going to be dramatic change in front of us here? You know, that's a hard one. Um, it is unprecedented, and we are at a place we haven't been before. And actually, it, it's 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 been there, but it's we see it just finally hit a tipping point. I believe it also hit God's tipping point. That's what I believe. And even though people, I think talking is good. It's absolutely good because we have to come to the table, and everybody has to come to the table with something. But it has to change. It can't be just dialogue, and that's it. And it's over with after that. It has to be something 
that's going to actually bring change and bring justice to this nation. Um, I'm not for the um, anarchy and the lawlessness. I don't care what anybody says. That's not the Lord. That's not his way. The Bible says the wrath of God, the, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And what we want out of all of this is God's righteousness and God's justice because there is no justice like the Lord's justice. And that's what God wants. He wants justice for a people that have been done wrong. He wants that justice. And I believe he's going to bring it, but it's going to be his way and not man's way. And I believe what has happened also is with um, the movements and everything that a whole lot of other stuff have come and built on and grabbed onto it and defiled it. And so a lot of ugly stuff has happened and buried the thing that we actually, that people are actually trying to say. And so God is going to do it his way. I believe that I believe that one thing that needed to happen a long time ago and didn't happen through all the different um, murders, through all the different um, things that have happened, is the right people didn't speak up. I've heard people say many times, and, I, and, I, and it was on my mind too, why come the pastors, the Caucasian pastors, never spoke up? Only a few, a couple here and there. Now, this is the first time ever that we've seen so many God's people will come to the forefront and say, this is wrong. We're not taking this anymore. And we're standing with that touched our heart because that's the way it should have always been. But it wasn't. It was always like they didn't care. And I'm sure I'm not the only one felt that. It's like mm -hmm. they did not care it's because it's not your child. You don't have to worry about your son going out the door and not coming home. You don't ever have to worry about a police officer stopping your son at a stoplight and then shooting them. You don't have to worry about those kind of things happening. So it was easy to turn turn a, a deaf ear, you know, look the other way. It, it's sort of like, you know, when the towers fell, and I thought about this, when the towers got hit, it, it was easy to watch that and feel bad for our nation, but it didn't touch us like it touched those who had family members in those towers that actually died. So when something doesn't touch you sometime directly, it really kind of just something you hear about it, you read about it, you go about your life the next day. Mm -hmm. But this thing, that I, that's why I believe God allowed this thing, this particular thing, to tip over. And he said, enough is enough. And, and as I said, what was the key, I think it still is, is that those who are named by the name of Christ, because like I said, I don't care what the world does, they're going to do what they do. But the people of God has to come together because the church is supposed to be the authority in the earth anyway. And so everything, a lot of time we look to the government to do, you look to the to this one to do, that one to do, the secular. It should come with, it should begin with the body of Christ. The body of Christ should have stood up a long time ago. And that's who should be standing now saying, what do we do now? Which, how do we go forward with this? You know, beyond talking about it, what do we do now? And that's the hard question. And I think that's going to take prayer. It's going to take revelation from the Holy Spirit. God knows what he wants because we're, we've entered a time period that the world has not seen. We've entered a time of why God's about to um, release manifestation of the kingdom of God. And we're going to see the hand of God moving as never before. And with all of that, God is healing the church, healing his people because the church has been defiled. We sat back and said nothing, been silent. I mean, we've been silent about a lot of things. You know, we were silent about abortion, silent about the things that are abominations unto the Lord and say nothing, say nothing. God is not, God is never called cowards. He's always called us to be champions and to be warriors. And we have to get to a, to a boldness and walk in the authority God has given us as people of God, because that is our right. 
That it should be our position because that is who we are. And it's time for the church to be the church in the earth. And with that comes the healing and healing for racism. We've got to, un we've got to come to the place of believing who we are. And even you, I don't care for, I, I, I go on social media, but I don't really like to put a lot of stuff on there because people always got their mouth open saying something I want to hear. They always yeah. jumping on saying something. I hate that because I look at things Christians saying, it's just abhorrible to the Lord. They take the wrong side and they don't seem to care that they're going to answer to the Lord. We've got to take the side of the Lord, stand with him. If it, if it means standing alone, stand what God has said. The only thing that matters, what is the father saying? If we serve God in that matter, if we love him like we say we do, our first commitment should be to the heavenly father, that we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus stood for, and Jesus was against injustice. You go to Amos, Jesus had, they, he had his people was always supposed to stand against injustice. God is for justice. He's for the justice of the unborn. He's for the justice of, of those the, who are done wrong, the, those who have been put in slavery, these poor women today and children that are in sex slaves and all that mess. He is for and he is for justice. He is bringing justice. He's bringing justice to black people. He's bringing justice to everybody that has been hurting because that is the will of God. So we as God's people, we have to open our eyes, open our hearts, begin to walk in obedience to God and begin to ask God, okay, Lord, what is my part? I was just at a meeting, like I said, in Florida a couple of weeks ago, and one of the sessions was powerful. It was, it was on social justice prophets and how we all need to have a cause. And I, that struck my heart. That's true. We all need to have a cause because Jesus always had a cause. We need to have a cause. What is your cause? Joe, this is your cause. And what a blessing to come and do a podcast, to just sit down and have dialogue on this. We have to have a cause that we're fighting for. We fight for something because God fights for it. And, and, and people, if they think that the Lord is sitting back silent, they're very wrong. And they think he's, he's sitting back um caring under um when they make those little foolish remarks and things they're wrong as i said someone last night put on facebook a picture of this man george floyd's um his crimes i mean i couldn't believe they put that on there it doesn't matter what he i don't care if he robbed a bank he didn't deserve to die like that there's, there's no justice in that how do you put that as oh he wasn't such a great they put on he wasn't such a great um well to me that reflects on the person that, made, does, the, that made the post, the post absolutely. and not not on george floyd yeah i said why would and that person that put that out there why would you do that um god is for justice it doesn't matter about somebody's past he's for justice why do you think the church as a whole has been reluctant uh, to uh, wade into these waters, social justice waters in general. Why do you believe the church as a whole has been so reluctant to do that? Well, one thing, the church, the church has gotten lukewarm. I believe that. The church is very lukewarm. That's what people say. Well, you can't tell the difference between the church and the world. And it's true a lot of, in a lot of cases. And then there's the thing I've heard people say, I didn't know what to say. There's people who felt the hurt and really felt the things that were wrong, but they said, I didn't know what to say. I can understand that. But sometimes you just got to step out in the water and get your feet yeah. wet. Sometimes you just got to step out there and just open your mouth. And then there's those who just really don't care, you know. So God is so God is shaking the church. He's waking people up. And I think with this one, with this particular thing, and I think it's not so much of who it was, I think it was how it was done and just 
people begin to see this is this is going on to this has got to stop. And I think the Holy Spirit just begin to tap people and shake them and said, "You see? Do you see? If we if we say that we love the Lord and we have the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, then those things there's no way we should sit and things not bother us. They should right. shake us. Injustice should always move us because it moves God because he's a just God and he is for life and he is for justice and if we are going to walk the way Christ walked and we know we preach a lot about Lord send your glory Lord bring the revival and we want to be like Jesus well if we're going to walk like the Lord I like I, I like that little you know the little brace that say WWD what would Jesus do really what would Jesus do you know a lot of times we live our life the way we want to and going about our business but and we do nothing that affects the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God must be manifested on earth. And where is that coming from? It's coming from the people of God. And how do we manifest the kingdom of God? Except allowing the Lord to move through us, to live through us, to speak through us, to operate through us, to function through us. And most of all, which God puts such a high, high um, priority on is loving as God loves. And love, God's love will not allow you to sit back and do nothing. Not the real love of God. It won't allow us to sit back and allow injustices all around us, swirling all around us as they are, and do nothing and say nothing. We have to speak up, but we also have to begin to ask God, what is my cause? What were you born for? What is your cause? We have a cause. All of us have a cause. I believe that. We all have a purpose. It's time for people to tap into. We are going to name the name of Christ Jesus. Then we need to begin to tap into our cause. Lord, what am I here for? What is the social cause that I'm to fight? Maybe it is sex trafficking. and Maybe it's racism. You know, and that's the case. Then, which what which steps do I take now? The Lord knows. Are you um, reading different things or uh, taking in, like knowing what's going on? As an example, the murder of George Floyd. I'm assuming you heard that on the news, mm-hmm. and uh, so that part. When you heard that, did you immediately think that, okay, this this is going to be this is not just another police murdering a black person. This is this is bigger than that. I think. Did you did you think that to start with? No, no. It was just another murder of a black person when I heard it. Yeah. I think that what took that, I think what tipped that really over. Well, for, for one thing, it was time. It was just time, and it was God's time. I believe that. But was the fact of the the dynamics the dynamics of it where when the police officer had his knee on his neck and he's crying out for his mother those little things there and crying out I can't breathe all those things there I think that's what tipped it over the dynamics that put people into another mindset like oh my god you know um because before they said we've seen many black men killed by police officers in the last few years I mean many one after the other and I believe the thing with Trayvon Martin was just that that legal demonic legal um you have to give the enemy the legal right to do things and i believe when he, that man when zimmerman killed trayvon like that and he got off it seemed like it opened the door it opened the door and boom boom from then on you saw one murder one murder after the other and so when the thing with george floyd happened i heard it on the news and I was like, oh, here we go again, another one. But then when the dynamics of it all began to come out, that's what was so sad about it. That was so sad. And I think that was just a tipping point for a lot of people. So we're in a time of racial unrest. Okay, then, Lord, why am I in this time? 
What am I supposed to do? Is there something I need to do around this racism thing? Is there something you call me to do? Maybe it's just to start a podcast. Whatever that thing is, God has called us to do. Then we need to put our hands to the plow and do it because we're called to work in the kingdom, not take a seat and sit back and pick the lilies. We're called to work in the kingdom. So what is the thing we're called to do? We need to raise our voice for justice. We need to uh, move our feet. You know, we need to start, start whatever. Maybe it's just a, a meeting, a, a, a coming together. It's something we're called to do that's going to affect people's lives, that's going to affect the kingdom of God and be effective in the kingdom of God. So we're not called to just sit and count the flowers and wait for Jesus to come back. I love it. Kat Kerr says, she's a um, powerful prophet. She says, put up, roll up your rapture rug. He ain't coming right now. <laughs> roll it up and get and, busy. And I love that. <laughs> Building on what we mentioned just briefly here a bit ago, uh, when you heard about George Floyd's murder, what sort of conversations ensued in your family or in your own group of black friends? What sort of conversations did you have in those groups or within your your own black setting that maybe would have been different than you would have with with others oh. did, that, did that open up some different conversations well, yeah sort of but mainly the people I talked to mainly with my family um, and a couple of the people I talked to but mainly you talk about what you just talk it's the anger absolutely that comes out I mean you're angry yeah. um, you can't put can't get past that you're angry like this is so unfair so unjust and, and the thing that always stands out is the fact that We've seen it time and again when it comes to the police officers. They always, if they went to trial, they got off. They never do time or anything. Yeah. And it's like it does not. And, and what you, you feel that hopelessness at that time, where it does not seem to matter. Uh, and that's what you know how, why they came up with the Black Lives Matter thing, but um, logo. But it's that you felt that way. It, our lives don't matter. What is this, Father? That the life of Black people don't matter. And it's all across the world when someone of this color skin, my skin's dark. When you see that color, that skin, you're going to get treated differently. Um, you're not thought of as good as the next one because of the color of my skin. But it's a reality. And that's what sticks out. This man had it. And I thought about it. And, and the, the saddest part about that also, besides the fact of how he died, is the fact it was over 20 Oh, come on. Over a $20 bill. Are you serious? When I heard that, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Over a $20 bill. That man is dead. I said, had, had, and, 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 and truth is, had he been a white man, he would not have been dead. Matter of fact, the guy that the um, store owner probably would have just, because my daughter, she went into the store with a, didn't know it was, uh, uh, this happened to a couple of people with the $20 bill that wasn't real. We got it from somewhere else. Now, somebody's going to uh, call the police on you for something like that. Just take it and say, we can't take it. It's not, you know, and, and then the guy later would say, he felt so bad. He wished he had never called the police. Why did you? It, to me, that that was part of it. Why did you? It didn't make sense. Just you can't take the twenty dollars bill because it's not real. Period. But then here comes a police officer, and they go into all this to ends up that ends up in the man's death. And so yes, it's anger, it's anger, and it's sadness because uh, um, unbelievable that over a twenty dollar bill somewhere this man is dead. His mother, is, well, she's gone, but her, his brother's wife, his brother, the fact he had a fiance, he had children over a twenty dollar bill. And, no, it's it's unbelievable. So we talk about that, and then of course go back to, when you talk about that. Then there's all the other situations that have happened, and it, it's always a wonder. And I've always been with me, like Lord, what is it? And I've talked to God about it. What is it, Father, with black people that we're so hated? We're so hated. What is this? 
are there things that you've always wanted to say to white friends or white people in general that they <laughs> that you don't think they really understand or are don't understand enough sometimes people seem to assume that they know what we're thinking and that what we need and that's a biggie. Sometimes they assume they know what black people need. And that happens a lot. I hate that. Uh, okay, for instance, when um, when Obama made president, and I had a friend, a really good friend. Uh, she's white, and um, <laughs> she um, she didn't like the fact that he made president, which, fine, that's, I didn't care about that. But she sends me this um, email, and it was about Bill Cosby. And it was, it was more or less telling me, she said it, actually, that Bill Cosby was black people's leader, he was our leader, and look what he said. Look, you need to read what he said, and it made me so angry. First of all, who said he's our leader? You know, they de you determine who our leader should be because he's a black entertainer, you know. <laughs> and it really made me, I told her, actually, I kind of told her off. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I told her off. It made me so angry. And a lot of times I find that people, will, they assume we're docile. That's the word I want to use. Yes. They assume we're docile a lot of times. Like we, we're stupid. We don't know anything. And so they want to give you advice and counsel. And that ha that happens a lot. And I hate that. Don't assume anything. You know, we're not, you know, you're talk down to somebody. Don't talk down to me. Like, like I don't have as much sense as you have or as much knowledge as you have. You, you, we've experienced, I know I've experienced that. You know, uh, you assume th this person should be, we should look at this person in this light because of who they are, just because they're black. No, you know, and I've had people say, I've had people actually say things to them. I, we like, I like hanging out with black people. You guys are, you guys are interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> little minds. And then um, it's just things sometimes, that little things that they, people do. They ask questions that you don't ask people. Don't ask me about my hair. <laughs> I hate that. A lot of black women do. You know, because we get, uh, you know, we wear wigs, we wear wigs, everybody does. But because but it's common for us, or braids or something, we questions, personal questions all the time. Personal <laughs> questions that you don't just walk up and ask somebody. I get that all the time. And so like, get out of my face <laughs> and get out of my hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you know, it's like, Treat us like we're adults, like we're people, just like I would do you. You know, it's, it's just a simple respect. You yes. know, some things you, you don't. There's some things you don't say to people. You know, or ask people, and um, you know. And I've had people. You know, it's really funny because okay, you take MJ. You see MJ's hair. He got really curly hair, and it's really soft, cottony hair. But there's people that think our hair feels like um, what's that thing? That scrub thing you use in the kitchen? That scrub pad. They think our hair feels like that. I've had people say that. And I'll see people walk up to a little black child and touch their hair. Does it happen? It has to. How big of a, uh, or important a role do you believe that uh, white America has to play in this transformational thing that needs to happen? White America has a large, large um, position they have to take because they have to open their eyes those who haven't they have to open eyes and admit where wrong is at and what's been done wrong and where they've done wrong themselves because some of them have if they can admit that 
and then just get on board. Then we can make it. We have to, but you, everybody has to walk in truth. White America cannot continue to go as it has gone in the past. That's it. That's in church and out of church. They cannot continue in the same path. They have to stop and turn and make a, and, and make a change in whatever way, they, whether it's business, whether it's church, whether it's systematic, whatever, the change has to come. And it has to begin with them even more so than us. It has to begin with them. He said, I'm sorry, here we're going to do this different. We're going to do this right. And acknowledging that nobody is above anybody else, not in the eyes of God, we're all the same. We are, and we want it to be not just something we say, but equal, true equality, true equality. Yes. Well, I really appreciate your uh, being willing to come and share with me You're today. Welcome. It's been awesome. And uh, so thank you for being here with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. My sincere thanks to Zelda for being our guest today on episode number eight. I hope you will give her heavenly perspective some thought as you contemplate what role you could play in your own family and community to combat systemic racism. Please remember the two important first steps for you to become part of the solution that America is crying out for. First, begin educating yourself about systemic racism and what is really going on with these long-standing racial problems. To assist you with that effort, you can go to the bottom of our website at myawakeningpodcast.com and check out our resources section. There are resources there that have greatly impacted my journey along the way. Secondly, begin earnestly seeking a true relationship with someone who does not look like you. As challenging as that may sound, I can testify that it will ultimately bring you a fuller understanding of others and great personal joy as well. If hearing Zelda today was meaningful for your journey, we hope you will consider subscribing and sharing our podcast with your friends. Your input on the My Awakening Podcast Facebook page is appreciated and encouraged. Head to Facebook to share your feedback and ideas for future episodes. We have recently added YouTube as another platform that you can listen to our podcast. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to sharing more thought-provoking content with you in next week's episode. Please keep listening, and remember that together we can make the systemic changes that are needed to heal America's racial divide and achieve justice for all. Do.